is Pastor Patrick Hines, and I'd like to do another installment of our reading of Galatians, and this is the Reformed Presbyterian Pulpit Supplemental, and um, every time I hit record on this thing, it says I'm maybe having performance issues, okay, whatever, I might need to get a new computer here pretty soon, but anyway, <clears throat> hopefully the, uh, the my voice will not be off sync with uh, the video this time, as it was once. But if you uh, haven't yet, I would encourage you to like the video and to uh, uh, click on subscribe. This is only the second time I've, I've ever asked that, but I've been told you should do that uh, to remind people. So if you like the content here, subscribe and like the videos and leave comments uh, that are um, that are legal and not, you know, threats and things like that, <laughs> which people sometimes leave uh, on the, the videos here. Uh, but I want to go ahead and press on with Galatians. Uh, that's the only hope for the world is the gospel. And uh, so much of the church uh, today seems to have kind of forgotten that and uh, is willing to kind of sell its birthright uh, for a mess of pottage. And so I wanted to read a more um, pure gospel here to you. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Okay, so th think about this. Let's say you have a scenario where uh, a father is a, a little bit younger and he dies and the heir of his estate is a child. Well, everything's not going to pass you know, into the possession of that child while he's still a child. It, he's going to be, as verse 2 says, he'd be under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children... We're in bondage under the elements of the world. And I think uh, the best way of understanding what he means by that is Jew or Gentile, both, were always in bondage uh, prior to having some revelation of the gospel uh, revealed by, by God in the heart through regeneration. Uh, everybody was in bondage to something, to whatever their unregenerate nature uh, inclined them in terms of trying to work for their own salvation and make themselves right with with God or the gods or whatever, uh, whatever their fallen religious beliefs were like, it was a form of bondage. And that's the case for every false gospel uh, out there. So this would include all of man's religions, um, as well as all forms of pseudo-Christianity. And there's a lot of forms of pseudo-Christianity out there today that mess up the gospel. And if we uh, are trusting in our works, if we're trusting in our own faithfulness, our own obedience in any way uh, to be decisive in getting us into heaven or saving us, uh, we're just as much under bondage uh, to a false system as the Judaizers themselves, as uh, members of the Church of Satan. Uh, there really is no difference. You're either justified in our child of God or you're not. In fact, I met with a dear brother this morning and we were talking about the end of Pilgrim's Progress and there's a scene at the very end where... Uh, Christian and hopeful, you know, they pass through the river of death and they, they make it into heaven there by the grace of God alone. But then there's ignorance and they had, they had met ignorance before and ignorance was a professing Christian. Ignorance said, I believe in Jesus Christ and, and for my justification and I, I believe all that. But it was clear that ignorance was trusting that God would graciously accept his obedience to God's commandments. Uh, which is not different from what a lot of uh, pseudo-Christian groups and false gospels have taught throughout all the centuries and all the way down to today. That's just as much a form of bondage, of being a child under bondage, under the elements of the world, um, as any of man's religions, be it Buddhism, Islam, or uh, whatever, Hinduism. Um, all of it's the same. All of it leads to the same place, uh, eternal perdition. 
The passage goes on. This is glorious stuff here. Verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we would receive the adoption as sons. So when the fullness of time came, a couple thousand years ago, as God prophesied it would happen, God sent forth his son. At last, he, he finally comes onto the scene and is born there in Bethlehem and ma- born in a, in a low condition. He's laid in a manger and he grows up there in, in the carpenter shop there with Joseph and Mary there in Nazareth with his family, with his, his brothers and sisters, as Joseph and Mary had other children. And he was sent to be born of a woman. So he was a man, just like, like you and I are. And he's also the son of God. He's divine as well. And he's born under the law. Now think about how significant and how important that phrase is. Jesus doesn't come into the world to set a better example for us. He is born obligated to obey God's law as an image bearer of God. As a a full-fledged man, he enters into the broken covenant of works. Uh, He enters into the law. He is born under the law. Jesus of Nazareth was just as obligated to keep God's commandments as we are. And so that's such an important point. He was sent forth uh, into the world, born of a woman. So he's fully human, just like you and I were. His birth would have looked like a regular birth, like any other child. And uh, he was born under the law. He was obligated to keep God's commandments, just like we are. Why? Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. In other words, to redeem those who have broken the law which every single human being in the entire fallen race of man has done, both in Adam's actual transgression, which is uh, imputed to us the moment we're conceived in our mother's womb, and the corruption of our whole nature. We're, we're totally corrupt. We're, there's no part of us that's unaffected by the fall of man into sin. And that's a, an extraordinarily important point to remember. This is why we need Christ. And this is why the only way a person can be reconciled to God is if they are relying on, only on Christ. Because if you're relying on yourself to any extent at all, your obedience to be the thing that saves you, not, not for rewards, that there's a judgment of works for rewards. And we see that first Corinthians chapter three, second Corinthians five, 10, you see it in John chapter five, you see it in many places in scripture. There is a judgment of works for rewards, but there's not, there is not a judgment of our works for eternal life or justification. Okay, our salvation from the wrath of God is achieved entirely by this son who was born of a woman born under the law. He is the one who by his death redeems those who were under the law that we would receive the adoption as sons. And then Galatians 4 verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. Okay, and it, now there's one sense in which we are slave. We're slave to the Lord Jesus. Paul identifies himself as a bond slave, a doulos, a a, a slave of Jesus Christ. Um, what this is saying is we're not slaves to false religion anymore. It's using the term in a little bit different sense here. We're not slaves, but sons. In other words, we serve God out of gratitude, not fear of punishment or hope of rewards. Christ has taken that away from us, and he's given us his righteousness. We have a legal title to eternal life. We are the children of God now, and we cry out to him, Abba, Father, because he is our Father. And it's impossible that a child of God could go anywhere but heaven when they died. You are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It's such a glorious promise. It really is. 
Verse 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. You see, there's only one God by nature. By nature, meaning the way that the real world really is, the real universe really is. There's only one God. There's only one true God. And so the gods of man's religions, like Allah, Allah does not exist in Islam. He doesn't exist. Zeus doesn't exist. Um, The whole uh, pantheon of deities in in man's religions, none of those deities exist. There's only one God by nature. Verse 9, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God. I love how he does that. Now that you know God, or rather are known by him. We, We know him because he first knows us. We know him. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19 says. Rather are known by God. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? He's saying you were delivered from false religions. And all false religions are the same. We we save ourselves. We gain a happy afterlife by what we do. And he's saying to these Galatian Judaizers, to the churches there, you guys are letting these false teachers add keeping the Mosaic law and getting circumcised and keeping dietary laws to the gospel. Why do you want to be in bondage again? You were delivered from dead works. You were delivered from trying to achieve eternal life by your own goodness. Why do you want to go back to that again? He says to them in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. You see how serious that is? He's saying, if you guys do this, if you go this direction, and you start trusting in your good works, you start trusting in circumcision, you start trusting in dietary laws, observing the the Jewish calendar, observing this and that, and you think that is going to get you into heaven, I labored in vain. Because this is so serious. If a person is relying on things like that, They just demonstrate they're not Christians at all, that they don't understand who Jesus is. They don't understand that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and that it is he alone by that work that redeems us from the curse of the law. They're just showing that, and Paul's saying, I labored in vain then. If that's what you all are going to go believe, clearly the gospel never really grabbed a hold of your heart. Verse 12, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And this is one of the reasons uh, some scholars think that uh, Paul had difficulty seeing. And in fact, at the end of Galatians, he says, see with what large letters I have written you. I've wondered, um, having looked at 2 Corinthians 12 and preached on it before, uh, there's a bunch of different things that may have been wrong with him. Uh, I wonder if he got hit in the head with rocks when he was stoned to death and he was drug out of a city and left for dead. All the beatings he got, he may, may have taken some shots in the, in the eyes or near his ocular cavities or something. Something made it hard for him to see, and I think that's clear here in the passage. He says, you guys would have given me your own eyes if you could have. Because they felt bad for him. They had compassion. They really loved him. He got a, a warm welcome by them, and they were they were thankful for his preaching and teaching. And this is why he starts Galatians in verse 6 in chapter 1 with, I'm astonished. I marvel that you're turning away so soon to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. So no, nothing could be more serious, and nothing could be more 
uh, far-reaching in its implications than this, than what you believe about the gospel. In verse 16, boy, if this isn't a verse for the ages, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I have felt like that before. <laughs> and I know a lot of Christian people who have felt like that too. Really? So I'm your enemy because I told you the truth? You hate me just because I told you the truth? Yep, that happens a lot. Verse 17. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them, meaning exclude you from the kingdom of God, so that you can be zealous for their false gospel, so you can be a notch in their in their Judaistic belt. Verse 18. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. And that's one of the hardest things for a minister of the gospel is if, if you have doubts about people. Are these, are these folks really believers? Are they, are they really saved? Are they going to go to heaven when they die? Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, I love this illustration here. Because he's going to describe the son of the Egyptian bondservant, Hagar, Ishmael, and the son of promise, Isaac. Now, the the way in which those two boys were conceived is very different. Very different. Um, Ishmael was conceived through natural means, just normal, regular old childbirth. Isaac took a miracle. That's the difference between those that really know Christ and those that don't. Those who try to earn eternal life by their works to any degree whatsoever are the spiritual offspring of Ishmael, of Hagar. And those miraculously born again by the Spirit of God are like the miracle child Isaac. Because Isaac was a miracle. It took divine intervention because Abraham's about 100 and uh, Sarah's about 90 when that happens. And, and human lifespans were, were getting to that point. Uh, where it was impossible. She was well past the age of childbearing. So listen, but he who was born of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, okay, just through natural means. Think, think of that use of flesh. They're kind of like Jesus is in John chapter 3 talking to Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Uh, I think that's also in uh, John chapter 6. Okay, so in other words, the sinful fallen human nature unredeemed, unregenerate, it can't give birth to anything but more sin. It can't give birth to anything but, but more flesh. That which is born of the flesh uh, is, is flesh. Uh, he who was born of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. So all false gospels, all religions where the law and the gospel are confused or combined and or faith includes our good works or obedience or something like that, all of that is a denial of, of the promise. Okay, the, the child of the free woman of Sarah was a child of promise. The child of, of the bondwoman, Hagar, was the child of the flesh. Which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Okay, and by the way, it, the, this is a misuse of the Sinaitic covenant. The law was never given, as Paul says in Galatians 3. It was not given to be the means of justification. Okay, the Mosaic Covenant is part of the covenant of grace. But the Jewish people, sadly, as many do today, as many professing Christians today, think that the law and our obedience to it plays some role in getting us into heaven. 
And that's not the case. So he's talking about a misuse of, of that covenant, of the Sinaitic covenant, the law given at Mount Sinai. Those are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai. Remember, Hagar is the Egyptian bondservant. That um, Sarai, Sarah, Sarai and Abram are weary of waiting. They've been waiting for years and years and still no, no promised child. They're still childless. And so Abram says, okay, here, or Sarah says, here, Abram, take my, take my maidservant. What, what a bad idea that was. Okay. But her child, Ishmael, they had a child naturally. Um, it didn't take a miracle. And that child represents false religions. He's allegorically speaking, he is a, a poster child for what all of man's religions give birth to, namely bondage. This Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Every group that says, we believe in justification by faith alone. Faith includes our works. They are the spiritual descendants of Hagar. And they are in bondage with their children. And verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Why is verse 27 there? That's not a citation from Isaiah 54, verse 1. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. It's extolling the miracle. Isaac was a miracle. If you're a Christian, it's a miracle. And does God still do miracles today? Don't you believe we live in the age of miracles? Well, I don't believe we live in the age where there are individuals and churches that have the gift of tongues or have the gift of miraculous healings or have the gift of, of uh, prophecy to give words of direct revelation from God. I don't believe that. But do we live in an age of miracles? If you've seen the regenerating power of God in your own heart, you're an eyewitness to the greatest miracle there is. God changes the heart. Sorry, I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> My cat was was excited to see me this morning. Uh, it's my daughter's cat, but I'm, I'm like the cat whispers. That cat comes in. Makes me sneeze. Sorry. We are miracle children. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout. This is extolling the miraculous nature of the, the conception of Isaac, the miraculous nature of the fact that we, we are miracles too, if we know Christ. Verse 28 summarizes it. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Meaning, we are the offspring of the work of God. God is the one who regenerated us and made us alive in Christ. Verse 29. Notice that the attitude of the children of the bondwoman towards those who understand true Christian freedom in Christ and the gospel and justification by belief alone in Christ alone. Here's their attitude towards us. But as he who was born according to the flesh, all of the false versions of Christianity that are out there, including all the, the, uh, all the other religions of the world, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nothing's changed. They still hate the freeness of the gospel and use every kind of semantic game imaginable to overthrow it and to make it unintelligible. Verse 30, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Remember that part of the narrative, you know, when uh, Hagar got pregnant from Abram and had a child, she started making Sarah's life miserable. 
And then Sarah regretted it, and she wanted her cast away. And what a painful thing that must have been for Abraham to have to send Hagar away with his son, the only biological son that he had. She shall not be heir. He will not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And what a glorious illustration. You know, think of Galatians. So many illustrations in here. How can people still get the gospel wrong? How can they still try to mix works of obedience to God into their definition of faith in Christ or something? How do we miss this? How, how do we make that kind of a mistake? And that's Galatians chapter 4. Uh, glorious stuff. And uh, next time we'll get into Galatians chapter 5. Sorry for, it's been a little while since I've uploaded a program. Been super duper busy. Last week was Thanksgiving and uh, a lot of stuff going on. I had a, a dear sister in Christ here who's gone on to glory and uh, we've been um, been attending with that and there's just been stuff going on here. So sorry about the, the delay between videos here, but uh, it's good to be back and I'm going to start uh, trying to upload more stuff uh, to YouTube and I thank everyone for their um, encouragement, emails and, and stuff and you know occasional comments that people leave. I also wanted to let some folks, let everybody know something. Uh, in fact, let me see if I can... Um, pull this up here uh, on the screen if I can uh, that's my gmail account uh, let me see if I can get this up on the screen here uh, all right where's me there I am and let's do this uh, I want to show folks that um, I actually have uh, put some books on uh, Kindle uh, they're just sermons that I've edited uh, and turned into short books and they're out there on uh, Amazon.com. And I had to, there's someone else with my exact name. So I had to use both of my middle initials. I have two legal middle names because my parents wanted to name me after uh, both grandpas. I think the sound is getting messed up here again. Great. Uh, but anyway, uh, so here, here's uh, four uh, Kindle books that I've uh, put out there. I've edited um, my uh, sermons and have uploaded four of them. So far, I'm going to do the whole Roman series and eventually uh, put them all together in one big book. But right now, everything is just individual sermons. And I also uh, edited my most popular sermon on a sermon audio. It's got like 3,600-something downloads. Man of Sorrows, what a name. So if you want to check those out, I'll put uh, a link to all this stuff uh, in um, the, the uh, description of the video here. But uh, anyway, I appreciate y'all. Um, thank you for your encouragement, and thank you for... Uh, watching or for listening. This is Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you.